So kids, if you didn't get a handout, there's handouts up here for anybody who wants to get one. Did everybody get a, a scripture memory card coming in? This is our next scripture memory. Quick glance at it. It is a benediction, and it builds up towards Easter. So pretty cool. That's why we picked it. So we'll talk more about that later. If you guys want to open, get your Bibles out to Genesis 43. We're going to be in Genesis 43 this morning. Kelly, you can come up. Mark, you can come up. Kelly and Mark are going to read. Let me give you a quick refresher as they get ready to read to us. Last week, the brothers left Egypt with food, but without Simeon. You remember that? They left him behind in jail. And the dude has been there for two years. They just left him there, which is kind of mind-boggling. Jacob said, there's no way you're going back with Benjamin, and so they abandoned him. And so this morning, we're going to find out what happens and why the brothers now finally go back for two years to rescue their brother Simeon. So, Kelly, you're going to read first. Let me make sure this is on. Here we go. Reading from Genesis chapter 43, starting in verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. And carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. 
so that they may assault us and fall on us and make servants of us and seize their, our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke to him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our, full money, our money in full weight. So we have brought it uh, again with us, and we have brought uh, other money down to buy uh, food. We do not know who put the money into our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put the treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men to Joseph's house and given them water and had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's uh, coming at noon. For they heard that they should be, eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house uh, to him the present that they had with them and bowed to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but... Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. This is the word of the Lord. God. Do everything gently and slow. Well, I had Kelly and Mark read, and they read their sections um, intentionally. The first section um, is all about the conversation that happens among uh, Jacob and his sons. Then the second half of the story that Mark read is all about what happens when they get to Egypt. So you got two separate scenes going on. But the key to understanding this chapter, and I love this chapter, the application here for me has been so good this week. I'm so excited for you to hear it. The hinge for all of this, I think, is clearly seen in verse 14. And it's seen in, in a sentence, but it's seen specifically just in one word. And the word is mercy. The word is mercy. Look at verse 14. This is what Jacob proclaims. He says, may God almighty grant you mercy before the man. If you've got your scripture journals and your underliner circling stuff, that's what you want to box in. Because that is what helps us understand everything that's going on in this chapter. I want you to think about it. It's, it's logical once you spend time thinking about it. Jacob has this conversation with his brothers, or with his sons. And he realizes at the end of this conversation that the only way the brothers are going to succeed in Egypt is, is, is if God Almighty grants them mercy. 
And then when we get to the second half of the chapter, what we see is that benediction being answered. It happens. They receive mercy. God grants them mercy before the man. So it's almost a setup in a sense. You read the first half and you should finish it reading going, they're going to need some serious mercy. And then you read the second half and you see, wow, look, they get serious mercy. So they realize it's going to take the mercy of Almighty God, I think, to keep the brothers out of jail, for them to return with food, for them to return with Simeon, and for them to return with Benjamin. God is going to have to work. And I love this benediction that he pronounces. I don't know if you, you know the difference. A prayer is something that goes up to God. A benediction is when we call something down from God. And so he realizes something has to happen. God has to move in a way. And so he pronounces this benediction over the top of them. And it is clearly one for mercy. And then, so we see the mercy there needed. And the chapter is actually bookended with mercy. Let me just show you. If you go to verse 29, I want to convince you why I think this chapter is all about mercy. Look at verse 29. Here's what he says. And he lifted up his eyes. This is Joseph. And he saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And then here's what Joseph says. God, be gracious to you. You know what word that is? Mercy. Yeah, it's the word mercy. So Jacob says, God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And then here we have in, in verse 29, Joseph speaking, May God be gracious to you. And then it says, Then Joseph hurried out for his that word is compassion. It's also the same word for mercy. His mercy grew warm. So, spoiler alert, this benediction that Jacob pronounces over his sons is going to happen. It's going to happen in this chapter. But before we get there, there's one other thing we have to notice in the first 14 verses. And that is how parallel this, these first 14 verses are to the first time that they sold Joseph into slavery and he went down to Egypt. You guys remember? I think it was chapter 27, if I remember right. So you got to hold both of those stories in your head at one time. You guys remember that story? The brothers were out taking care of their sheep and Joseph comes along with his, with his long, fancy coat and they plot to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him to a bunch of Ishmaelites caravan. And he gets taken off. There are glaring similarities and parallels between that story and what happens in these first 14 verses that you have, to, you have to notice in order to see why mercy is so marvelous. And so here are just some of them. First, notice that they sent, back in chapter 27, they sent Joseph to Egypt, and now they are going to Egypt. Egypt. Joseph, remember, Joseph pleaded with his brothers in distress, please don't send me to Egypt. In verses 1 to 14, Judah is pleading to go to Egypt to get food. Judah wanted to kill his father's favorite son, and now Judah is pleading for the safety, saying, I'll give safety to your new favorite son, Benjamin, now that Joseph is gone. In the first chapter, in chapter 27, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery for money, and now they're bringing money to Joseph. And do you remember what those guys in the caravan had with them? They had Balm, gum, and myrrh. And now what gifts are the brothers taking to Joseph? Balm, gum, and myrrh. Do you understand what's happening here? It's almost like this is like what, goes, what comes around goes around. It's, it's that whole idea that things are going full circle here. You remember last week in chapter 22, 
The brother said, there's going to come a reckoning for what we did to our brother. Well, this is sort of like that's what it is. It's everything that happened in that chapter is now happening again only to them in this chapter. Things have gone full circle. Except when they get to Egypt, it's not a day of reckoning. It's a day of mercy. And so you're supposed to read the first half of the chapter and go, oh boy, everything that they did is now coming back around on them. And when they get to Joseph, when they get to Joseph in Egypt, they're going to get a royal spanking. Something's going to happen. And they're, and they're terrified because they know something's going to happen. And so the shocker of the chapter is that it doesn't turn into a day of reckoning. Instead, it turns into a day of mercy. Now, mercy is basically this. Mercy is when you care for someone in their time of need. Mercy, from God's perspective, is when God is good to those in misery or distress. So when you're in misery or distress and God cares for you, you're receiving mercy. When you're in need of something and someone meets that need, you are receiving mercy. And so what I want to show you is four ways that God Almighty grants mercy to the brothers in Egypt, okay? Four ways that they receive mercy in Egypt. And surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, they're so relevant to us. So relevant to us. I found this week my heart so much needed to understand mercy better and to celebrate God's mercy. And so I pray this feeds your soul this morning. I pray you leave here so much more aware of the mercy of God in your world and in your life. So here we go. Number one, the first area that we see in this story is this. God Almighty granted them financial mercy. Now I'm going to use words that may not be the best word, and maybe you'll think of a better word to fit in that slot rather than financial, but that's the word that came to mind, so that's the word I'm going to use for this little point. But he meets their financial need. He, he grants them financial mercy. Look at verse 18 with me. I want you to look at what goes down here in this story. And the men were afraid. Because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was placed in our sacks the first time that we were brought in, so that he may assault us and fall on us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the store, and so the, the servant opens the door of Joseph's house, and they spoke with him at the door, and they said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We did not know who put the money in our sacks. How does the guy reply? He replies, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. Now, does the steward know who put the money in the sacks? Who put the money in the sacks? Steward put the money in the sacks because Joseph told him to put the money in the sacks. But who is the steward ultimately giving the credit to for the money being in their sacks? God. He's saying, God did it. Your God did it. The God of your fathers did it. You've got money because God gave you money. God put it there. You got to remember, they just left home in a famine. I don't know how much money they had left at that point, but they didn't leave with much. And so here they are now with all of that money back, and the guy who we thought was going to put him in jail is saying, oh, no, 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 
God put the money in their sacks. They're standing there going, how did that money get there? God put it there. That, that was the interaction he had with the steward. Listen, when you open your wallet and you find cash, you should ask, who put that there? And the answer is, God put that there. When you pull out your credit card and it works and you get what you want, you should say, where'd that credit card come from? Answer, God. Who put that credit card in your purse? God put that credit card in your purse. Who put the cash in your purse? God put the cash in your purse. And you know why God did it? Mercy. You think you deserve that credit card in your purse? Do you think we deserve the cash we have? No, it's mercy. God is granting you mercy. God granted them mercy. Listen, every penny you have, every penny you spend, every penny you give away is God Almighty granting you mercy. Do you believe that this morning? It's all mercy. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It is all mercy. We're going to circle back to this in a minute. Let's move on to number two. God Almighty granted them physical mercy. God also granted them physical mercy. Let's, let's get into their sandals for a moment. It's hard to figure out exactly how many miles it was that they walked to Egypt. I'm going to guess, based on everything I read, it was somewhere around 200 miles. Any of you ever walked 200 miles? Elizabeth and I went to Colorado last month. People ask us, did you drive or fly? We say drive. They go, ugh. No one asked did you fly, drive, or walk? These dudes walked 200 miles. So maybe 10 hours of walking a day, seven days. I'm going to give you a pair of sandals. You start walking 10 hours a day for seven days, and let's see how your feet feel. Doing a pair of sandals. I'll give you a pair of flip-flops. I'll give you a pair of Under Armour flip-flops. When you get there, you tell me how your feet would feel. And so they have physical needs. I think they get there, I think they're hungry, and I think they're thirsty. And what happens to them in verse 24? What's it say that the steward did for them? He gives them two things. He gives them water for their mouth, and he gives them a foot soaking. You don't think that felt good? I mean, they're thinking they're going to go to jail. They're getting there thinking, this guy's going to say, you took the money, you put it in the sacks, you took off, and that he was going to slap cuffs on their legs and take them off to jail. And instead, they're met with a cold cup of water and a foot washing. That's mercy. That is Jacob's benediction being answered firsthand. May God Almighty be merciful, grant you mercy before the man. Now, we've got we to think about these guys for a minute. Because this was really the first time they have ever experienced any kind of need or want. Think about Jacob, what we know about Jacob when these guys are born. These guys are born into wealth. These guys are born into a wealthy home. They have only experienced abundance their whole lives. This is their first famine. None of us have ever experienced a famine. This is their first famine. This is the first time they've ever experienced any need for anything. The first time they've ever known what it meant to be hungry or thirsty or to have feet that sore. And yet God met them and granted them the exact kind of mercy they needed in the moment. 
I wonder if this trial opened the brother's eyes to the reality of how the mercy of God had been poured down on their lives since the day they were born. I wonder if it triggered, like, whoa, we have been really, really under the mercy of God our entire lives. I wonder if this triggered things for them that had never been triggered before. We have the New Testament, and we know in the New Testament that God often sends trials, suffering into our lives to conform us into his image and to test our faith. Well, here it seems that God has designed this trial, at least in part, because there was a deficiency in their hearts to recognize God's mercy was behind everything they had. Do you get that? And I have to wonder if God handcrafts trials to expose deficiencies in our hearts to recognize God's mercy. We'll call them deficiency in mercy recognition, or D-I-M-R's, demurs. <laughs> when how often we fit, I'm like this, we're like this. There's a deficiency in mercy recognition. There's mercy happening all around us, but there's a deficiency in our heart to recognize what God is doing. Think about it. This morning, everyone's car started. You got here. Unless somebody did not, not, did not happen or anybody. Just want to make sure. Right? This week, your car, every time you get in your car, your car starts. No one goes, whoa, mercy of God. God just met my need. I needed my car to start, and God did it. But the morning you get up and the car doesn't start, well, now all hell breaks loose, doesn't it? God, what are you doing? When the car starts, do we ever stop and go, whoa, God, what are you doing? Mercy. And there's hundreds of examples of that in our lives every single day. I think I can go 5, 10, 15, 20 years perfectly healthy without ever acknowledging oh, this is the mercy of God that I'm healthy today. I got out of bed this morning. I'm not achy even. I feel great. That's the mercy of God. But the moment I get sick, all of a sudden I wonder, whoa, God, what are you doing? What, what's happening? What are you trying to teach me? What's going on? What's going on is he wants you to recognize all the mercy that has been on your life for the past 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of your life. Maybe it comes in other forms for you. I don't know. Maybe it comes in work. Maybe work is great for you right now. Do you recognize when you're at work, this is the mercy of God that you have a job? The mercy of God that you have a job you enjoy. Maybe it's with your kids. I don't know. But there's a list of ways that we enjoy the mercy of God day in and day out. Listen, don't overlook how God Almighty grants you mercy every day. Over the past two years, I have spent a lot of time in the book of Lamentations. I love the book of Lamentations. And one section comes up over and over again that I think about. And it may sound familiar to you. Perhaps you've heard this particular part of the poem before. But the author writes this. Jeremiah says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The word steadfast love right there is also could be translated mercies. The steadfast mercies of the Lord never cease. His mercies never come to an end. 
That means his mercies are never finished. They're never used up. His mercies are never exhausted because they are new every morning. With the rising of the sun, there are new mercies. And then he says, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, the steadfast love, the mercy of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they don't ever come to an end. They're new every morning. That means there's no old mercies. There's no used mercies. There's no recycled mercies. There's no stale mercies. No leftover mercies. When you get up every day, God dispatches from his heart fresh and new mercies to you to enjoy. He grants mercy to you every day. And they're fresh with the rising of the sun. I was up this morning with the sunrise. I, should, I took a picture. I should have projected it. Beautiful. I mean, how relevant to, to this. I'm like, whoa, sun rising. New, new mercies today. I'm receiving new mercies right now, and I'm only not even aware of all the mercies that I'm receiving from the hands of God. All the way he is meeting needs in my life at this exact moment that I know I am not completely aware of. Listen, every morning, every morning, you receive a wide variety of new, fresh mercies. Every morning, you experience mercies from God that come in a wide variety of shapes, forms, colors, textures, smells, tastes, sight, experiences, relationships, all fresh, all new, all vivid for you to encounter every day. Don't miss them. Don't miss them. Some of them are more spectacular than others. But when you turn the faucet on in your kitchen and water comes out, you should ask, where'd that come from? And your answer should be, the mercies of God. From the smallest thing that happens to you to the most significant thing that happens to you on any given day, it is because God Almighty is releasing fresh mercies upon you that day. When you open your closet, stuffed of clothes, and say to yourself, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> Instead, think, where did all that clothes come from? Ah, I know where it came from. God Almighty granted me that mercy. It's from his hand. When you had your tea this morning or your coffee or your juice, it came from the mercy of God. Listen, may none of us suffer from deficiency in mercy recognition. May we, not, may we suffer from that no more. No more. May, may mercies slap us in the face all day. May the things we think are redundant, may we see them as a new mercy for that day, a new mercy for that morning. May we see that God is on the move, releasing mercies new every day upon you. Mercy after mercy after mercy. Number three, another, another category of mercies that he does for the brothers here is he grants them emotional 
mercy. He gives them emotional mercy. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. Look what happens. Uh, Joseph's reply to them is this. They're ready to go to jail. Actually, this is Storer's response. They're ready to go to jail. And his response is, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Do you understand that there's there couldn't have been better words. We have no idea how anxious they are. I mean, you read through the text, how many times you see the word fear, afraid. They are anxious. It's so oh, hard for us to get into their world. Imagine you are going, returning to the place that you left your brother. You're trying to get him back with food for your family with another brother that you hope he doesn't also want to take, you assume you're going to go to jail or maybe be put to death, and the guy who meets you at the door says, hey, just chill, peace, relax. There's nothing to be afraid about. I can't imagine, like, talk about a mental breakdown in that moment. I mean, you would be an emotional basket case, going from thinking I'm going to jail or dying, and all of a sudden this guy says, who has all the authority here from Pharaoh's helper to, be at peace, don't be afraid, and it's exactly what they hear. I mean, they're wondering, is Simeon alive? Are we going to get back in time with food for our family? And they are received with peace. Joseph is going to use these same words in verse 27. You look at verse 27, when he greets them, he inquires about their, look at verse 20, it says, and he inquired about their welfare. That's the same word for peace. He wants to know, are you guys at peace right now? Everything okay? You guys calm? You guys at peace. And then the next thing he does, he inquires about their father's peace. This is all about peace. It's almost as if the benediction from Jacob is working. They're being granted the mercy of God in the form of peace here, of emotional peace in the middle of their distress. I mean, peace is not just the absence of war, right? <laughs> Peace is not just the absence of something. Peace is a, it's a rest. It's a trust. It is a, a quietness that we get in our souls, even though things around us might be really jacked up. We're calm. I, I think our culture, even Mount Airy's culture, Woodbine, is a little bit calmer, a little more chill. But even that is at a rushing pace often of go, go, go. We don't know how to find peace, especially in fear and anxiety. And when we do find it, it seems like it can vanish so fast. Oh, I'm at peace. And then one text message, ah! Right? How quickly we can change. Listen, in this, in this case for them, they received the mercy of peace in the moment they needed it. And I believe God has the mercy of peace for you or whatever emotional mercy that you need in order to minister to your soul fresh every morning. I don't know what kind of emotional help you need this morning. I don't know whether you need peace this morning, whether that's peace with God or peace with others, peace in the world, peace with yourself. Listen, there's plenty of things to be afraid of, and there's plenty of things to make us an emotional mess. You realize that every morning, God releases new mercies 
for your soul to give you the peace that you need. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's there. Grab a hold of it and enjoy it. Number four, last one. God Almighty granted them relational mercy. He gave them relational mercy. You have to admit, Joseph's relationship with his brothers is in distress right now, don't you think? I think there's a little tension there. Joseph knows who they are. They don't know who he is. But there is stress going on. There is relational distress going on. And yet Joseph inquires of their peace. And then in verse 30, he actually goes off and weeps for them. I mean, this is, this is crazy what happens. It says, verse 30, that Joseph hurried out for his compassion, his mercy for them. It grew warm. It could read his mercy was red hot for them. He had tender mercy for them, so much that he's weeping. He's weeping over his relationship with them and probably how broken his relationship with them has been. It's in this moment of absolute distress and conflict that God Almighty grants the brothers mercy through Joseph. I mean, again, look at the benediction that Jacob prayed, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. I mean, here it is, mercy. The brother, uh, Joseph is weeping for them in mercy. His heart is broken in mercy over them. So that's exactly what's happening is an answer to the benediction that Jacob pronounced. But the, the shift in the story here is when it goes from Joseph's private weeping and the private mercy that he's feeling in his soul to this feast that breaks out. I mean, there's a feast that breaks out. And I don't think we have categories for how timely and amazing this feast was that they had. We've talked about this before. Look, there's something. I don't know what God did when he did it, when he built people, but he gave us teeth and tongues and taste buds and food that tastes good to do with other people, to eat together, because it does something relationally. There's something about it. You go, go from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about food and fellowship, food and community, food and relationships with one another. And so this feast that breaks out really is just representing relationship. This is representing them being in harmony with one another. So picture the scene with me. you got to picture it. You've got 11 brothers reclining at a table eating. You've got Joseph. He's over here at another table eating. And stewards are taking... Food, I don't know what the guy's like, he's cutting the roast beef up and putting it on a plate. He's taking it from Joseph's table and he's bringing it over to the brother's table. And they're reclining and eating. So you got 11 brothers eating. You got the guy in charge over here eating separate. And food is coming from one, that's my timer. That means I have an hour left. <laughs> Mercy. So you've got the brothers eating, you've got Joseph eating, and, and they begin to party and party and party until you get to the last verse of the chapter where it says that they drank and they got drunk with him. They're intoxicated together in the room, laughing, making merry, and enjoying themselves. This was a celebration, this is a feast, and this was a party. And you've got to think about who is partying together. You've got Joseph, whom these brothers hate, partying with him. This brother they thought was dead is partying with these brothers. And Joseph 
is parting with them, knowing who they are, knowing what they did to him 22 years ago, knowing they wanted him dead. And he's still throwing a party with them at a table with wine and with bread. I mean, those two things are highlighted, right? We're going to eat bread, and there's going to be wine. The only explanation for this type of activity between the two of them is that God Almighty granted them relational mercy and mercy to feast together. Jacob, he's over here in the room, is the man who has all the authority, he has all the power, he has all the abundance, he controls their destiny, he decides if they live or die, and he is feasting with men who betrayed him. Should I be more vivid? Does this remind us of anything? I mean, this is a picture being painted. I don't often see clearly some of the things that happen in the Old Testament that project or foreshadow the New Testament. This one you can't miss. You picture the scene and you realize this is foreshadowing. I mean, there's crazy. You got men reclining at a table. The person, this case, is with them at the table, right? Not separate from the table, reclining with them. But in this case, this person has their future in their hands. He knows what's going on in their lives, right? And yet he gives them abundant mercy at the table. He's far superior to them like Joseph is, but he is eating with them at the table. Listen, the connection is so clear. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man was the words that left Jacob's mouth. I mean, the words that, that leave our mouths now is may God Almighty have mercy before the man Jesus, not the man Joseph. May God Almighty grant us mercy before him. And is that not what happens at the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's table? I mean, it is so crystal clear. In mercy, listen, in mercy, Joseph led his brothers from famine to feasting. But there's a better Joseph. And the better Joseph, he leads us from famine to feasting. In mercy, Joseph turned his enemies' fear into peace. Do you see there's not a better Joseph that turns our fear into peace? In mercy, Joseph pursues relational reconciliation with the brothers. We have a better Joseph who pursues reconciliation, relational reconciliation with us. In mercy, I mean, Joseph took his brothers from great need to great abundance. Doesn't our better, G, better Joseph do more than that for us? I mean, in mercy, Joseph spreads this feast before his enemies. Uh, but the better Joseph, Jesus, does he not spread a feast out with his enemies? I mean, this is just a picture of what God does with us, meeting us treating us way better than Joseph ever treated his brothers. And the supper doesn't end there. We love the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But even that supper, we look back on what Jesus did when he established the Lord's Supper, and then we look ahead at the next supper that's coming. You know the next supper's coming, right? I remember hearing my mom yell in the backyard, it's supper time! Best words you could hear. At that age, even more than I love you. <laughs> Supper time. Listen, Revelation 19 is clear. Revelation 19 is clear. It says this in verse 9. And the angel said to me, said to John, write this. 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angel said to John, these are the true words of God. <laughs> you want what the true words of God are? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you understand? I've been to some really good weddings with some really good receptions afterwards with really good food and really good drink and a really good party. Nothing like what this is going to be like. It's just a teeny, 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 little, tiny, almost nothing compared to what this is going to be like. And listen, if, if you hear the Spirit of God in your soul, then this invitation is for you. You have been invited. You didn't choose to go. You got the invitation in the mail. The invitation came. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, this morning, if the Spirit of God is alive in you, you've been invited to a supper. You've been invited to a feast. You've invited to a feast that in miniature form we just saw take place in Joseph's life and in his brother's lives. It's amazing. The mercy of God, the mercy of God that we see in miniature form and how Joseph treats his brother is meant to be a foreshadowing of the mercy of God that we receive in Christ. And it's breathtaking. The mercy of God is everywhere and it will culminate in that moment when we are with him face to face partying in heaven with him. May we, may we fight all future mercy, recognition, deficiencies by looking back to what Jesus has already done for us, by looking at what he's done for us already just since we woke up this morning, and by looking at what he's going to do for us in eternity. May all of that prevent us from not recognizing the mercy of God on our lives. God is merciful, and his mercies are new every morning. And so we're going to take some time this morning. We have plenty of it, unrushed, unhurried, to enjoy the mercy of God together. So we are going to, actually, Kaylin's going to come, and he's going to play a little bit. And that's your chance to, if you want to kneel, there's seats up front to kneel. There's room in the back if you need to do that. And you can pray. If you journal, it's a chance to journal. Uh, reflect on the mercies of God. If you need to talk to your spouse or your kids about the mercies of God, let's do that. We're going to take five or so minutes to do that, and then we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and have more time of reflection for you to kneel, pray, think, write. And then we'll partake together. I'll lead us through that time. But for now, just, I just want you to enjoy God. Sit and rest in the mercy of God. Consider this a time of mercy from God. Where there's nowhere to go, nothing to rush to, and just enjoy God. Just enjoy him. And then we'll sing a song in a few minutes.